Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is such a pleasure to be with you this morning, and I'm so grateful to um, my BJC fellow sister, Pastor Aurelia, for the invitation to be with Peace of Christ Church this morning. Um, I bring you greetings on um, as a guest on Native Anacostian lands near our nation's capital in Arlington, Virginia. And so, Pastor Aurelia, I'm grateful for your compassionate vision for building this beloved community in Texas. Um, from one sister to another, I am grateful for your tenacity, your courage, your vulnerability, um, your drive, your tenderness and toughness that makes you who you are. And so uh, with that, I want to celebrate you, um, this community, and celebrate you and congratulate you on your new book as well. So for everyone else, for the next 20 minutes, I would like to reflect on the words found in Esther 4.14, and they read, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I'm going to read it again. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you, your father's family, will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This morning, I'm going to speak from the title, How Much is Enough? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. These words written in the Declaration of Independence exhort ideas that often go unrealized for many people of color in the United States. Whereas many Americans embrace the practices of religious freedom and celebrate diversity, too often racial and, re and religious minority groups continue to be negatively impacted by social perceptions and public policies, which are constructed as assaults on their identities. Paramount to what is perceived to be a post-racial and pluralistic society, people of color from all religious identities and none continue to struggle with the realities and the historical implications of racial, social, and economic disparities, which are symptomatically, symptom systematically symptomatic of America's flawed foundation. Former presidential candidate Shirley Chisholm once said, racism is so universal in this country, so widespread and deep-seated that, that it is invisible because it is normal. Racism has been normalized in the last 20 years in ways that religion has been weaponized to discriminate against racial, religious minority, and LGBTQ communities. 
If the last two years of of the COVID-19 pandemic weren't revealing enough and showing racial disparities and inequities experienced by marginalized communities and the working poor in healthcare, education, transportation, earning livable wages and religious freedom, 2022 is proven to be in a year where we boldly ask the question, how much is enough? That is, how much is enough when on January 15th and 17th, senators gathered and quoted the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in remembrance of his birthday, but days later, those same senators failed to expand and protect voting rights for its citizens. However, when we look at now where elected officials who failed to protect voting rights are now shifting gears to prioritize the Electoral College Act, and it's been said that voting rights is a state's issue, but we know that local elections have impact on federal ones. How much is enough when the newly elected governor of the state of Virginia signs an executive order that makes it punishable for teachers to teach history in public schools on the account that it will make some children feel guilty about the events? And yet our children were subjected to watching the events that occurred on January 6, 2021, when it revealed the worst of America's legacy, which upheld white male patriarchy, Christian nationalism, racism, and everything that seeks to undermine the understanding that all are welcomed in our American country. How much is enough? When we witnessed Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, the first African-American woman to be nominated to the Supreme Court, be dragged through confirmation hearings with many attempts to discredit her character, her judgment and record while consistently interrupting her, apologizing and resuming the same tactics. Finally, I say, how much is enough when the Supreme Court passes down legal decisions that specifically infringed upon a woman's right to choose and make decisions about her body and health care, even if those things are life-threatening or life-altering circumstances. How much is enough? when 20 Republican attorney generals filed a lawsuit against the USDA office challenging a federally funded program because they didn't want to include language of sexual orientation and gender identity being a protected class, which impacts children and students who receive free lunch programs and schools when this might be their only meal. How much is enough? In today's text, we're privileged to an exchange between Queen Esther and her beloved relative and uncle Mordecai regarding the plight of her Jewish people. What we must remember is that Esther was married to a Persian king who didn't realize all of her identities. She was a woman of courage, dignity, and determination who stuck with her principles despite the risk that she assumed because of her being. The man that took her as his wife was also planning to kill her people. 
if we're honest with ourselves and one another, there has been an occasion or two in our lives where we have had to make very difficult decisions. I'm talking about decisions that pushed us out of our comfort zone and to or a place of familiarity. Those decisions that didn't bring popularity, but critique, even if we were doing them for the right reason. In, 20, in 2016, the Public Religion Research Institute conducted an American Values Atlas survey that, really, that revealed that the religious landscape in America is changing. There is a decline in those who identify as white mainline Protestant and white evangelicals. At the same time, there is a growing number of non-Christian religious groups in America, but yet they still only represent one in 10 Americans. Atheists and agnostics account for a minority of religiously unaffiliated individuals or their, their nuns uh, who are secular, and that number is growing. Also, the racial and ethnic and cultural makeup of some religious communities are changing. In other words, there is and will continue to be a diversity shift in this country. Pastor Aurelia, I would imagine that in your early commitment to building this sacred community that you encountered some interesting questions about your intentions and your purpose. And possibly you might still get those questions today. I saw the tagline on your website that reads, think deeply, love widely. The, uh, the intentionality of your mission as Peace of Christ Church affirms, we are an open and generous faith community seeking to embody the life of Jesus in belief and action. We welcome all, no exceptions. Says a lot about your commitment to, to the ministry of the first century revolutionary and humanitarian who worked to usher in what you're calling the kingdom of heaven to earth through worship, social action, and redemptive activity. This is what I call holding the community in care. That is the people that we are accountable to and the people that are accountable to us. They are beliefs that we cherish at the Center for Faith, Justice and Reconciliation, where our faith calls us to advance justice and to seek reconciliation for the entire beloved community. And reading today's text, I'm struck by three observations. The first is found in the words, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arrive from another place. The use of the word if suggests that there's a choice to be made and includes conditions that are affiliated with that choice. Mordecai's message to Esther is very clear that if she doesn't do something, someone else will. Can you imagine the responsibility and the burden that comes with making this decision, even knowing that you may let your community down? How much is enough? To bring it to a modern day context, I want to talk about January 6th just a little bit more, because on that day, we watched the events unfold in the nation's capital as individuals from across the country violently took over the Capitol building. 
Their goal was to disrupt the Senate vote and certifying the 2020 election results and the win of President Joe Biden. Their actions were not only unlawful and immoral and unethical, they were an attack and a, an attack and a threat on our perceived democracy as a nation. On that day, we bore witness to the ways that religion has been and continues to be used to isolate, discriminate, and disenfranchise people and communities in the United States. Think about this for a moment. How did that scene on January 6th translate to someone in America who was a person of color, a religious minority, an immigrant, or someone that was non-religious? Keep in mind that there were crosses and Jesus save signs and nooses and anti-Semitic messaging and a whirlwind of irrational actions and behaviors taking place. This led to unnecessary deaths and attacks on Capitol Police, numerous arrests, and then taxpayer money designated to federal criminal investigations and Senate hearings, all in the name of a warped ideology of a specific type of Christian ideology that seeks to diminish the rights of other people in this country. At the same time, we cannot forget about all the legislative matters that were taking place and that took that took place even not too long after the events. We've all seen the videos by now. So recording the events of the day, again, I raised the question, how much is enough? The second observation that I see in the text is when Mordecai explicitly states who would be impacted if Esther doesn't choose to speak up and take action. He reminds Esther that the king's plan would impact the very people that she loves. In my work as an interfaith leader and a religious freedom advocate, I look at these issues through the lens of intersectionality. For me, voting rights, public education, and LGBTQ equality fall within the scope of my work. Religious freedom as we know it is the constitutional and human right guaranteed by the First Amendment of the United States for a person to freely practice their religion or not to practice one at all without government interference, preference, or discrimination. Within this right, there exists the free exercise clause and the establishment clause, and it is critical for every person to understand that these rights are applicable to every single human being. And yet, in our pluralistic society, people are consistently challenged, targeted, and dehumanized for what they believe, who they love, and how they show up in the world. Whereas we cannot deny the historical fact that the founding framers of the Constitution primarily represented a white privileged male perspective, it is critical that in 2022 that we raise the question, how much is enough? 
Is it enough that when in 2021 alone, there were concerted efforts across the country where 34 laws in 19 different states, hello, Texas, were enacted to restrict access to the ballot box? This has major implications for the very communities that I talked about early on, communities of color, college students, and even people with disabilities. On a larger scale, it impacts who has power and influence over local, state, and federal budgets. It influences every aspect of our lives. In 2022, faith communities have a responsibility to continue holding our elected officials accountable to their moral, their moral obligation to serve we the people. Because we, the people of the United States, is comprised of people who are religious and non-religious from this beautiful and diverse racial, cultural, and ethnic backgrounds who identify from many different gender identities and pronouns. Some of our families were brought here to the Americas in chains, and other families arrived by choice. And some even arrived out of desperation for a better life and seeking asylum. We are also, just think about this, that we, the people today, we're 165.9 million women strong with voting rights guaranteed by the 19th Amendment, unlike 1787. We're in the Supreme Court, we're in the Senate and the Congress, and we have a right to make choices about our health care, our bodies, our reproductive rights, and our freedoms. But at the same time, we can't impact, we can't overlook the impact of raising the question, how much is enough when it comes to supporting public schools and protecting those who are targeted because of their identities? How much is enough before we take action to protect our children and communities against people who mean us no good? If you don't believe me, ask the parents of the 19 children and two teachers who were murdered at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas on May 24th, 2022. Or ask the families of those 10 people killed in Buffalo, New York, as they shopped in Topps Grocery Store because the use of assault rifles have not been banned in this country. How much is enough? I'm going to bring, you, bring it in a little closer for you to understand how this has implications. In 2015, the Hindu American Foundation released a report that was called Classroom Subjected, Bullying and Bias Against Hindu Students in American Schools. And what they found is that one in three of the respondents were bullied for their religious beliefs. One in eight of those respondents, and I'm talking about children, reported that their teachers made sarcastic remarks about Hinduism in, their, in front of the class. Similar to that data, the Sick American Legal Defense and Education Fund um, did a survey in 2020 where they find that 58% of the respondents reported that they were bullied or harassed because of their sick identity, or 63% stated that they were targeted because they wore turbans and were discriminated for such, and that this was a higher rate among those who live in the South. 
It's even important to note this, that religious discriminationism is experienced by non-religious and secular individuals as well as free thinkers. In 2020, the American Atheist um, released a report called Reality Check, Being Non-Religious in America. And what they found is that due to non-religious identities, more than half the uh, participants had negative experiences with families. Nearly one third had ex negative experiences in education and more than one in five had these experiences in the workplace. And of those that experienced the discrimination within their families, there was a there was 73.3% higher rate of depression among those individuals. And this rate was even higher among communities of color who had less support. How much is enough? So my final observation in this text is this, is that Mordecai's insistence that is that Esther should not get too comfortable with the fact that she's royalty or in the palace because there's a reason for her positioning. This part of the text reminds me that we're all positioned to make a difference. Your promotion on your job, your elevation in a given space is not just about you. It's an opportunity for you to do the sacred work of reimagining a world where everyone can live and thrive as human beings. In 2015, I started my journey as a religious freedom advocate um, at the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, where I was um, one of their inaugural BJC fellows. I learned about the role of Baptist dissenters like Roger Williams, a man strong in his faith who was intentional about his decision to fight for freedom of conscience by establishing an entire colony at Turn State, Rhode Island, where this experiment of religious pluralism and diversity could breathe new life in a new world where people were escaping religious persecution. But then I learned about Gowan pamphlet, an enslaved black man who was born in the Williamsburg Tavern, who had a life of servitude, but recognized the call of God on his life to do ministry by preaching the gospel. That is the same gospel that was holding him in captivity, but he saw it as a tool for liberation. As Gowan pamphlet pleaded his case about preaching, he challenged his oppressors who were Christian, who proclaimed of God, right? In their lives, he challenged them by using the very Baptist rites of passage known as the right hand of fellowship. See, for him, it was not just a welcoming into the Christian family, the Baptist family. It was this affirmation of his humanity that he mattered to God and now this community. See, friends, basically what I'm saying is you cannot do the work of justice without taking a critical examination at the human condition and dignifying the existence of every person. Because as you believe in your church doctrine and in your faith, every human being is made in the Imago Dei. That is the image and the likeness of God. And here's the thing. Don't get caught up in the debate of what does God look like? 
The reality is if we're made in the image and likeness of God and we're all a beautiful tapestry of people, just embrace that we all matter. So let's not get distracted about those things. But when you're positioned like Esther to take action, you have a responsibility to do so and be a person of influence. So I tell you to boldly claim your authority in doing so. So how do you do that? I invite you to to listen and to take an active role in addressing the issues that matter to you and your community. If you're serious about social action, as you've stated in your your church mission and about liberation and bringing the kingdom on earth, we must be proactive about petitioning our elected officials about the ways that public policies impact immigration, the exploitation of low wage earners who need childcare assistance or even baby formula and even looking at the ways in which climate justice uh, impacts our communities and that includes our indigenous brothers and sisters who continue to fight for their sacred lands. If we believe that religious freedom is a constitutional and human right for all, then we must make every effort every effort to educate ourselves about the issues, engage in dialogue with one another and seek understanding about our perspectives and our experiences because we must take action. In the words of our beloved late Congressman, John R. Lewis, he said, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something, you have to do something. Overall, this text in Esther should inform and remind us that it is our responsibility as religious leaders and free thinkers of moral conscience to be intentional about our efforts to include all voices in the discussion about religious freedom and the discussion about human rights. We must be compassionate listeners who are willing to take risks to advocate for those who are challenged by privilege and sit on the margins in life. We must collaborate with others who are doing this work. Because as the text remind us, maybe, just maybe, you have been positioned for this time to do the work of justice and to seek peace for all in humanity. And so I, I inspire you and I encourage you to do that work, do deeper reflection, find out what's happening in your community, not just on the federal level, but in remembering your neighbor, your community of care, the people that you say you love, do the work on behalf of them. God bless you.